Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Ramirez, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of the Hit List Podcast, a podcast where me and a guest cross off films from our watch list and discuss them. I'm joined today by a YouTuber who also watches a lot of movies, Sophia Fan. Welcome, Sophia. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Sophia is a YouTuber, and in her channel, she reacts to a variety of movies and some TV shows. I discovered her last year when she was watching Avatar The Last Airbender, the show because the movie doesn't exist. And through her videos, I was able to experience all the same emotions I had when I first saw the show many years ago. So I'm really excited that she's here. Sophia, before we get started, can you tell me a little bit about your streaming viewing habits? Whenever you sit down to watch a movie, do you choose something new or do you stick to your favorites? Are you asking for like my channel or just for my own personal like viewing? Uh, let's actually try both. Like, uh, Let's start with like the personal. Like Personally, like whenever you watch a movie, how do you choose them? Usually I go for my personal favorites just because whenever I do want to watch something new, I usually watch it for my channel or I watch it with friends. Like we uh, we video call each other and we watch it together. But yeah, uh, rewatching movies by myself is the way to go just for like nostalgia factor or if it's like, or I just want to watch a feel good movie. Right, I totally get the whole nostalgic feel. So when I was younger, I watched The Prince of Egypt, like on VHS. That's how old I am, apparently. <laughs> I watched it on VHS, and that was the only movie, I think since childhood, I never get tired of. So when I was younger, my family, we used to have a van with a TV inside, and a TV had a VHS player. So whenever we go on a long trip, I would ask my dad, how far is it from there? And he was able to learn that, like, the way I measured time when I was a kid was how many times do I watch The Prince of Egypt to get there? So if it was, like, three hours away, my dad would say, like, it's, like, two Prince of Egypts. I'm like, oh, okay, so I can watch it twice. <laughs> so <laughs> when I think of Prince of Egypt, I think, like, those long car rides um, across, like, state lines and everything for traveling. So and as far as, like, your channel, like, how do you choose your movies then? Well... I, I kind of went through phases where at the beginning of my channel, I kind of just chose movies that I felt like other commentary channels chose. So like I my first ever video was on the Kissing Booth movie from Netflix right. because a lot of other uh, commentary channels that I watch also did that movie. So that's where I kind of started. And then... Uh, and then I did Avatar, which was kind of like um, out of the ordinary for me because it was a show. <laughs> but at the same time, um, it was trending at the time. So I was like, oh, like maybe I should watch that and <laughs> get views. Uh, and then after Avatar, I was tired of editing shows. So then I kind of around that time, I think it was October. So then I kind of went in the holiday theme direction. So October, I did like halloween or scary movies i did like a break in november and then december i did christmas movies after that it kind of just came randomly i had this list of movies that i wanted to do on my channel and it kind of just like went from there i'm still adding things to my list and as of right now i'm doing mostly animated movies um i actually up uploaded uh, my hunchback of notre dame video today which is going to be which is actually going to be my last animated movie for a while. I am actually trying to switch gears into watching more uh teen movies now because it's summer. Yeah, that's a pretty I want to say random, but it's a very unique way of going through the uh, movies. So, I will say that like the writer for The Hunchback of Notre Dame, his name is Tab Murphy. He also did Tarzan and Atlantis. I know you recently also did like the Atlantis video. I watched some of that. But Tad Murphy, he's a very he's a character. So I'm gonna go a little bit history into Atlantis. He didn't think it did successfully. Well, it didn't do successfully at the box office, right? Which is unfortunate because it's a really good movie. Mm -hmm. And for years, he thought that kind of translated to like the audience's reception. But it wasn't until last year when like a bunch of the Facebook groups came up around like movies. And there was one for Atlantis. There were like memes for Atlantis. And he joined the group, but like no one know, no one knew who he was. And then one one day out of the ordinary, he just says, "Hey guys, you know when I wrote this movie years ago, I thought it was a great movie, and I didn't know all, all, so many people loved it, so I really appreciate it." And then everyone's like, "Wait, you wrote the movie?" <laughs> and no one knew, <laughs> so they're just making all these memes. And he actually loves all those memes, and he's a pretty weird guy, but he's a funny guy. That's really funny. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get down to the two movies we're we'll discussing today. We're going to be talking about two amazing movies. So we'll be discussing Boogie Nights, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, and Memories of Murder, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Boogie Nights is a 1997 American period drama film written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It is set in Los Angeles' San Fernando Valley and focuses on a young nightclub dishwasher who becomes a popular star of pornographic films, chronicling his rise in the golden age of porn in the 1970s through to his fall during the excesses of the 1980s. The film was an expansion of Anderson's mockumentary short film The Dirk Diggler Story from 1988 and stars Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, Don Cheadle, John C. Riley, William H. Macy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Heather Graham. This movie was on Sophia's list. Sophia, why was this movie on your list? Um, <laughs> I actually don't remember. I put it on my list like so long ago. Um, I just remember uh, a lot of people had talked about this movie and I was like, oh, it's like pretty well known. So I should probably watch it along with like, you know, other really famous movies that I haven't watched before. I actually didn't realize what the plot was until <laughs> we were actually talking about what kind of movies we should watch and then I looked at the plot and I was like wait this is about porn <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh I don't know I I think that kind of captivated me even more I was like well I there aren't a lot of movies out there that portray porn as like a business you know like in today's society people always look at porn as like something shameful right but um yeah it was interesting i kind of was interested in how they would portray that yeah definitely that's something that like i saw like the contrast with like nowadays it's like looked at as shameful but for them in the movie it's just a business right and mm -hmm. they can, they're proud of it the only times where like it, it hurts them is when they're trying to do something else so for don cheeto's character when he was trying to get a loan and they wouldn't give him a loan because he was in porn films so, yeah. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the movie? Like, overall, what did you think? I was honestly pretty surprised on how good it was. I really enjoyed it. Before going into it, I thought it was like an average length movie, like two hours. And then I realized it's actually two and a half hours long. And I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's kind of long for this kind of movie. But I felt like everything was paced really well that like I didn't even, it didn't even feel like two and a half hours long. Like, I personally am not that into Mark Wahlberg as an actor. I feel like <laughs> a lot of his movies are kind of like whatever. But I actually, uh, I actually pretty enjoyed his performance in this movie, considering that like, this was one of the first movies that he did and it kind of catapulted him up to like stardom which is kind of fitting because you know that's what uh his character eddie like experienced yeah so here's the crazy thing paul the director he originally wanted it to be three hours long and he wanted an nc-17 rating so it would have actually had like actual porn in it mm -hmm. but like the studio heads were like no you're not doing that because it is three hours long dude like cut it down and he eventually went forward with it with the R rating because he viewed it as a challenge. So, yeah, it's like <laughs> I didn't realize it was also two and a half hours as well. So I was like, oh, come on, man. And in the middle of it, I had to go wash dishes. <laughs> so I kind of like <laughs> like went back in. I'm like, OK, what was I last at? OK, yeah, this guy. But yeah, it was it's very interesting and a lot more fun than I thought it would be. Like it's a very quotable movie as well. Like they're like. <laughs> What the fuck's a Catch-22, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what were your favorite scenes in the movie? I really liked the opening shot, the long take that Paul Thomas Anderson did. I know that he actually took that as like a personal challenge because of uh, the long shot in Goodfellas by uh, Scorsese. But I think it worked really well. It really set the atmosphere and it kind of just like threw us right in to like the 70s and the environment that it was back in LA. But yeah, I think that was probably my favorite part. He did a very well, good job on the opening because it introduced all the characters. You didn't know their names at first. Well, at least I think they introduced their names a little bit. But it introduced all the necessary characters who were going to be in the film. And uh, another scene I love <laughs> because it has one of my favorite actors in there is when they're trying to like, what, how do I say? They're trying to steal from the, from the guy, the rich guy. By trying to sell the cocaine, even mm -hmm. though it's just baking soda. 
because yeah <laughs> Alfred Molina's in there and I love Alfred Molina because mostly because of his portrayal as Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man 2 in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 but he does oh <laughs> that's where he's from yes oh and I okay was so... I was like <laughs> I, w- I saw his face and I was like where have I seen this man before? I could not recognize him. I wouldn't say I immediately recognized him, but like, I remember I was reading like the cast list before I watched the movie and he was there. I'm like, where is he? I'm like, oh, there he is. He he looks very different. Yeah. (laughs) It just shows how great of an actor he is, right? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) they're so tense because like, they're really hooked up on the drugs and and they're trying to like get out of there quickly. But what's his name Todd wants the money he wants even more money like he wants even more stuff and yeah. the, the other guy is just like sending out fireworks and <laughs> it's just like loud bangs <laughs> yeah the whole scene was very intense definitely and it the thing I noticed is that those bangs weren't consistent it could be like three seconds within each other or it could be like long like it could be a minute between each one and then once you think it's over it's not it's another bang <laughs> and it's still shocked um it shocked me still, like, every time they were still doing it. <laughs> and what's his name? I forgot the name of his character, but Alfred Molina, he's just, like, singing along to this song. And apparently, after the movie was out, that song uh, got a resurgence of popularity. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite scenes right there in the movie. I also read that they told the guy throwing the firecrackers to just, like, do it randomly. Just so, like, it would add the <laughs> tension for the actors. And that, uh... Alfred's character actually uh, wore, I think, like I think it was earbuds, but he had to wear something where like he wouldn't have to, he wouldn't jump when the firecrackers went off. Oh man, I didn't read that part. That makes it so much more like technically, so much more technically amazing because just like the for the crew there to like listen to that, they probably had headphones on. Mm-hmm. And also like in editing, I wonder how that was like done as well because sometimes like the coverage and the audio and the video don't really sync. But I guess he he was able to find a way mm-hmm. around it, and it was really well done. So yeah, I really liked it. <laughs> Do you have any quotes from the movie that you found quotable? With this movie, there were so many characters, and they all had their own story that it's kind of hard to keep track of who said what. But the one quote that comes to mind is at the very end when Eddie was giving his little pep talk to himself in the mirror and he was like I'm a star or your star or whatever <laughs> you're a big fucking star and I was like wow and then he just pulls out his prosthetic penis <laughs> I also I also I I kind of don't think they should have shown it because it was such a mystery when it didn't show up at the whole movie so kind of like Jaws, you know, mm-hmm. like you've seen Jaws, right? I actually haven't, but um, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. So like, it's kind of like with the monster, it's more scarier. The monster in a horror movie is more scary if you don't show the monster. Mm-hmm. But once you show it like too many times, like people get desensitized to it. So kind of like with the with the penis, like people are so amazed that you didn't even show it. They're like, oh, it must be really big. And then once I saw it, I'm like, oh, it kind of looks a little lifeless, you know? <laughs> it's, just like, <laughs> it's just out of nowhere. Like, oh, because I, I knew about that scene before I watched Boogie Nights, but I didn't know it was Boogie Nights, you know? Because mm. like when you first when you first hear the, the title of the movie, Boogie Nights, you think it's like the 70s. It's about like disco. And it is a little bit, but it's not really about disco. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of like what I thought about it. And <laughs> there was like the little mini documentary that... Julianne Moore's character made for um Dirk I guess his name is Dirk mm-hmm. and he's like um, they, she, I think she asked him like what do you think porn has an effect on people and he he says something around there like we could have saved millions of relationships with these films man and I'm like you guys are so full of yourselves it's so funny <laughs> <laughs> and what makes it so much more hilarious because um I'm also a filmmaker like I'm still like how do I say it? I'm still like the beginnings of my career for it. Mm-hmm. And I've met people who have such huge egos exactly like these people. They're not porn. They're not pornographers. You know, they don't do like um, porn films, but they have the same ego. Mm-hmm. So with Burt Reynolds character, Jack Horner, he's like, I, I want to change the industry, man. Listen, I've also said the same thing myself. <laughs> <laughs> And you kind of have to with these applications to like film schools, which I've never been to film school, but like that's kind of like the thing where like you kind of have to say like with a scholarship, yeah, man, I can change the world by making films. 
and yada 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 <laughs> and the thing that he's so unaware of himself not of, of his, himself but like of the audience he says i want to stay in the theater even after they busted a nut i'm like bro they're not they're not gonna stay because <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the guy's name when they're in the limo there was like this dude that they picked up for that uh, film i don't remember his name but yeah the guy who like went to school with roller girl yeah yeah when he left the limo, he says, your movies suck anyway. I was like, bro. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I felt that. I was like, oh my God, not to Jack. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, even though they, they kind of did suck, you don't say it to a filmmaker. Like, most of them are already insecure as it is. So to say that, you kind of earned that beating, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of on that point, have you seen La La Land? Yes, I have. I have opinions about it. So... Yeah, yeah, because I watched that on my channel. But uh, there is a scene where Emma Stone's character is at a party, and there's that one, there's that one guy who's like, he's like a screenwriter, I think, and he's like, and he's like, kind of the culmination of what LA like culture, just like filmmakers are. Yeah, where he was like, yeah, like I'm working on this script, and it's gonna be big, like no big deal, like it, yeah. <laughs> And I, it's just, it was so funny. I was like, oh my god, I have met people like that. Let's talk a little bit more about how this movie was made. So, I said in like the little intro, little tidbit, that it's based off of um, a short film that Paula Thomas Anderson made called The Dirk Diggler Story. Mm -hmm. So, a little bit about the director as well. He comes from that era of filmmakers where video stores start to become a thing. And... Back when he was younger, his family had a VHS player. And I think this was around the 80s or so. And VHS players back then were very rare in, in, in like family households. So he had the benefit of having like a huge library of films to like watch and then learn from. So other people who also like benefit from this area was Quentin Tarantino. Because he used to work at a video store and would watch a ton of movies. And that's where he got his whole education in a way. And also in a way Robert Rodriguez because he watched a lot of movies. For those of you who don't know, because I didn't know at first as well, he directed Spy Kids and Machete. So he he's known for that fame. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's a pretty cool guy. He's very tall. I met him once and I was like, oh, I thought I was tall. But I'm always humbled <laughs> when I meet people above 6'1". That's fine. It's fine. But yeah, he grew up in that era. So in a way, it's like kind of similar to ours, but we're kind of more spoiled because we can watch anything for free with like subscriptions to like Netflix, HBO Max. Or if we're being a little more adventurous, go to 123movies.com or .net, whichever you want to go. <laughs> Look movie. <laughs> Puttlocker.com, you know. <laughs> and the thing is, he also had video. And with video, he was able to make mistakes with the movies he made as a child, like when he's a teenager, like 17 or something. So that the short film he made, The Dirk Diggler Story, was shot on VHS. Not VHS, video. My bad. And it serves as a blueprint for Boogie Nights. So that's a little bit more about him. Because of like his um, background and everything. And also his dad was the voice uh, of ABC, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of amazing that he directed this when he was 26. Like, yeah, I'm 24 and that's like two years away. Like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> Honestly, like, Sophie, I do this all the time, too, where I compare myself to people like Robert Rodriguez, he directed his movie for like $7,000. Um, Desperado, not the Desperado, and Mariachi. And he was 23 when he made it. So, yeah, I try not to compare myself too much to them. So, don't let it, don't, don't do this to yourself. Don't do that. <laughs> I try not to, but it's just, it's like a funny thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally get that. I, I get that. For my Citizen Kane episode back in season two, I went over the fact that like Orson Welles was 25 when he made Citizen Kane, the first movie he ever made. And he didn't know what he was doing and it's considered one of the best films of all time. And then at the time I was like, oh, actually that was this year, my bad. <laughs> yeah, I was 24, I'm 24. I'm like, man, what did I do? And I'm like, oh yeah, I've been in a pandemic for the past year, that's why I couldn't film anything. My bad. <laughs> it's like, I have to remind myself, like <laughs> our, our situations aren't the same, you know? Yeah. I know for like Rodriguez and for Anderson, they've been doing this since they were kids, right? A lot of people I know in my um my friend group, they've been doing this since high school. And I've only been recently starting with my filmmaking career. Like, I only started editing videos in 2017. I didn't even consider doing videography until, like, two years ago. So, 
kind of have to remind yourself, like when you compare yourself to people, like how your journeys are different. So yeah, everyone, everyone also, everyone has their own timeline. Um, yeah. Yeah, and they also have their own struggles. Like you see the highlight reel on social media, but you don't see like what went on behind it. You know,、mm-hmm. you don't you don't see what fireworks were popped in their vicinity while they're trying to steal money from a, a coked out dude. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so the story about this movie—it's more about like family, you know. It's the theme of like finding family. The characters depend on each other. So with Don Cheadle's character, he kind of depended on the opinions of his friends in that in that little group, so that he could they could tell him about like his style, like the cowboy style. <laughs> <laughs> Becky Barnett says it, it. You can't do it. You can't. You can't have cowboys. It, it was good like a couple years ago, but it's not good now. And he's like, okay, what's your thing? I'm chocolate. I'm chocolate love, baby. <laughs>、oh、<my> <laughs> so yeah, so it's like that family. And once they like kind of go apart, they kind of like find their own ruin, or they're abandoned, or they're killed. Unfortunately, William H Macy's character, which I-, I felt really bad for his character. Like, yeah, dude, like love yourself. Like, leave her, leave your wife. Okay, like, ah. It 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 makes me wonder like how those two even got together, right? <laughs> If like it, it felt like she had been in the business for like a while, so I feel like like that should have been something they they could have discussed before. They got married, right? So, like, if he, I, I guess, some people are are like into that. He obviously wasn't, and he could have like just been like open about it, like, hey, I'm not cool with that, and she'd be like, okay, I'm still gonna do it, and he could be like, okay, look at these divorce papers, you know. But oh, it, yeah, a very unfortunate end for like all of them involved. Um, but the thing that I was laughing at was when the the technical director, not the technical director, the the cameraman. He just goes up to him and says, "Hey man, about that shoot tomorrow. What do you think we should do with the lights regarding the lights?" And William H Macy's character is not focused. Like, dude, my my wife is fucking someone else over there. You're asking me about the shoot tomorrow? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it, it it had been such like a common thing for his wife that like I feel like everyone else was just like they they assumed that his character was just used to it. Right. Yeah. I, I guess you could kind of see that. You know, it's communication. Okay. I kind I went for, I went to school for communication. And I, I watch a lot of these movies, and like now as an adult, I'm like, man, communication would have been great for the situation, you know? I know. I think that all the time with movies. I'm just like, wow, why can't you just talk about it? You don't understand. Let me explain. <laughs> I heard that Paul Thomas Anderson originally wanted Leonardo DiCaprio as、yes. Eddie or Dirk Diggler, which I think is hilarious. Because can you imagine? Leonardo DiCaprio playing this kind of character, I I can't even imagine it. I mean, he wanted to do some obscure film called Titanic. I've never heard of it. <laughs>、um, <laughs> I think Leo would have done a really good job with this as well, but I also don't see how it could have been anyone else bit Mark Wahlberg if that makes sense. Because yeah, I recognize Leo's acting ability. He's a great actor.、Mm-hmm. I think the closest we'll see him doing this is with The Wolf of Wall Street, which is. Also, really kind of a crazy film about another person in real life. Yeah, but yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about that. Like Leonardo DiCaprio. Wow, he also recommended Mark for the role, and before that, Marky Mark. He was known as Marky Mark, and now if you try to call him Marky Mark,、uh, he'll try to punch you in the <laughs> nose because he hates that name now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what he's known for, you know. It's what he's known for before this.、Mm-hmm. But I think I saw. I don't know. Explain this, but it's like. You could see the trademark Mark Wahlberg when he becomes when he starts getting on drugs. Do you know what I mean? When he starts yelling at people,、mm, yeah. when he starts getting up at people's faces, I'm like, there we go. That's the trademark Mark, and that's what you see in all the movies now. And I was kind of waiting for that moment to happen in the movie. Yeah, and then when it happened, like, I'm like, oh, there it is. An angry man. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the people who are offered the roles here. Joaquin Phoenix was also the, offered a role for Eddie, you know Dirk Diggler, but he turned it down because、mm-hmm. he had concern about playing a porn star, which you know it's it's a pretty reasonable sentiment, you know, because there's still that shame involved with the porn industry. Yeah. But he later collaborated with、um, Anderson on films such as The Master and Inherent Vice. So there are a few people who were considered for the role of Jack Horner, and they were Bill Murray, Harvey Keitel, Warren Beatty, Albert Brooks, and Sidney Pollack. But they declined or passed up on the role. 
and eventually went to Burt Reynolds, which about Burt Reynolds, he <laughs> he declined a movie seven times before finally accepting it, right? Mm-hmm. He also didn't like Paul at all, the director. He didn't like the way he um, directed the movie. Like, there's this one part. I think it was the opening, but I'm not sure exactly where. So, like, when they did the shot and then it was over, he asked him, that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, okay. And he's like, yeah, it's, like, very experimental. And then Burt Reynolds, he listed five movies that had done the exact same thing. <laughs> and because he didn't like the way he was um so full of himself, you know, because he was 26, 27 at the time, mm-hmm. and he's doing this big budget movie. He just didn't like the attitude he had, and he just said, "Dude, like you're not doing anything new. You people have done it before you. Like don't <laughs> don't worry too much about it." So, yeah, he really didn't like the movie so much so that like once he saw the rough cut of the movie, he fired his agent for even recommending the movie to him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and he also didn't participate in the campaign. Like, he did not participate in that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy because that's, like, a really good performance from him. Like, it's an amazing performance. I don't see anyone else doing that besides him. So, it's really strange. Yeah, like, that, like, when I was watching it, when... <laughs> oh, uh, you can finish your thought. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, As I was watching it, I didn't even recognize Burt Reynolds. It wasn't until after... I finished that I looked up the cast list and I was like, holy shit, that was Burt Reynolds. Um, he was, yeah, he was amazing. Like, this was a really strong performance from him. And from what I understand, his career was on a decline and this actually, like, put him back, like, on film. Like, it brought him back into uh, relevance. Also, his attitude, I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, he did come from old Hollywood. He worked with right. legends like Marlo Brand, like Marlon Brando and like other really great actors. So, I mean, having to be directed by this young up and coming 26 year old must have been like must have done something to his pride. Yeah, he's kind of like that. Like there was this other movie he did. I forgot the name of it, but the director was a first-time director, and he said, no, I don't want to do it with you because you're a first-time director. I don't trust you. And then Jack Nicholson did the role instead, and it won an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny. Yeah, he. he I kind of don't... I don't blame him because I kind of understand, like, that... The whole sentiment of, like, pride. Like, it's also kind of like, um, get over it, dude. You know? Like, the industry's changing. Mm. We got video now, dude. We got video. Okay. <laughs> got blockbuster i heard that burt reynolds actually tried like fist fighting paul thomas anderson on set which is actually really funny because there's that there's that scene in the movie where mark Wahlberg's character and burt reynolds like start having a fight (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) direct reflection you know it's like yeah does art imitate life or like to me art i don't know how to speak but yeah (laughs) but yeah i forgot to mention that like the way he got like a resurgence of fame uh, putting him back on the map it was very similar to how John Travolta got a, a research interest um, in the film industry after Pulp Fiction because before Pulp Fiction his career was going down and then after it went up like mm-hmm. it revived it to this day like there's so many film students who have that poster in the Pulp Fiction poster on their dorm room I'm glad to say I wasn't one of them because I'm not archetypal archetypical stereotypical <laughs> but yeah it's he did such an amazing job and the, the movie in general got like 32 awards. No, it didn't get. It was nominated for 32. And Reynolds received over 10 nominations, including like his Academy Award nomination. And he won the Golden Glo- Golden Globe Award for his performance. So it, it did great for his career. Yeah, definitely. But he was hating it. He was hating it. Also, Samuel Jackson turned down the role. The role that Don Cheadle eventually picked up. But you know what? I think Don Cheadle did an amazing job in that movie. He did great. Yeah. I... Since I didn't look at the cast list before going in, except for like knowing Wal- Mark Wahlberg was in it, I was taken aback when I saw Don Cheadle. I was like, "What? He's in this?" Same with um, um, John C. Um, Riley. Shoot, I forgot. Yes, yes, I was shocked to see him too. Also, also with um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I was like, "Wow, this is a star-studded cast." The whole cast is amazing, and. Um, I, mm. I will admit I forgot Don Cheadle's name, so I kept referring him, referring to him as War Machine on my notes. <laughs> I didn't even bother to look up the cast names. I was like, War Machine's in here. As far as like the way the um the camera work in this film, 
it's really a combination of like three things. So it's the steady cam, it's the dolly, and it's also handheld. And the way he's able to weave everything together, it really pulls the movie together as a whole. And with the opening shot, they're on the crane on top of the street. And once it goes down, the cameraman steps off with a steady cam and then goes through the, the whole you know, the whole nightclub showcasing everyone. And there are also other scenes of like handheld camera work where like there's like moments of tension. So there, that's the whole, that's how they was able to weave together like that story right there. Yeah, I, I did notice the camera work throughout the movie. Yeah, I did notice that, especially for, shoot, I don't think I actually noted it down, but there was one scene where it was really tense and it was very obviously handheld. I think it was the scene where that girl OD'd and they were carrying her out to like the car right right there was also another scene i noted where the camera angle was shifted it, it had like a dutch angle and that was when jack introduces dirk to another younger man who was going to be a part of the crew a part of the cast and oh yeah yeah i i noticed that too yeah it's very uh, it's a widely used angle to, to showcase like someone's world shifting and for him it did shift right there it also changed when he saw Julianne Moore's character like talking to talking to him, and he's like, "Oh, what? <laughs> She's talking to him now, not me." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you have any other thoughts about the movie? Okay, the donut shop scene—I totally did <laughs> not expect that to be so gruesome. Oh, like it, like I. I thought, yeah, maybe the robber or maybe the cashier would get shot, but all three of them died, and I was like, <laughs> "Holy shit!" <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I was just thinking like the whole time, like just let it go, let him take the money, and let him leave. Don't be a hero. Do not be a hero. You don't have to be the good guy with a gun. You don't need to be because no one has to die. But no, he had to be a hero, and who got shot? All three of them. And I was like, "You dumbasses!" I felt bad for the cashier. I you know, know. He he didn't ask to be robbed. He didn't. He was he was willing to comply. He, he's like, you know what? My life is worth more than the money. You can take the money. But no, he got shot by quote unquote good guy with a gun. Oh. <laughs> but you know what? Charitable donation towards the. Uh, I keep forgetting these characters' names, but like his Don Cheadle's character's um, storefront, the stereo storefront. Yeah. I was worried he was going to die, though. I was really worried he was going to die. I was like, no, he just wanted donuts for his wife. <laughs> I know, and his wife was pregnant, too. Yeah, yeah. All right, so did you think you should have seen this movie sooner, or was this the right time for you? Um, I think this was probably like a good time for me to watch it. I feel like, because I put this on my list like maybe a year ago, and I feel like how do I put this? Because sometimes the movies on my watch list, I put them on and I, whenever I feel like I want to watch something new, I look at them and I'm like, I'm not in the correct mood for this. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I, I feel like when I was watching this, I was in like the perfect mood. Like, like this movie was really funny and like, kind of like a subtle way like it was it was never really like in your face like a lot of comedy movies are nowadays so yeah i it was really enjoyable i watched it at night oh my gosh during the sex scenes i had to turn my volume down because my mom would walk by my room and i was like i'm not <laughs> that's too much <laughs> but yeah it was it was really fun i it was really enjoyable yeah definitely i feel the same way you know i Never considered watching this movie before. The only, the only person I knew who was in the movie at all was Luis Guzman because he was featured in an episode of Community where um, he visited the school for his fame of um, from Boogie Nights and he had a statue in his honor because he went to that school. But that's the only reason why I even heard of the movie. But it's also so quotable that I've heard it like the references in other places. So like that scene where Eddie's like. Young as mom, like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to be somebody, mom. I'm going to be somebody. I, I've seen that in other places, too. I was like, oh, so this is where that's from. <laughs> this is where that's from. I was like, I, it answered my questions. I'm like, what are you guys referencing here? You know? Mm-hmm. And now a word from our sponsors. Now back to the show. Memories of Murder is a 2003 South Korean crime thriller film co-written and directed by Bong Joon-ho. 
It is loosely based on the true story of Korea's first confirmed serial murders, which took place between 1986 and 1991 in, oh shoot, I cannot pronounce this, Hwasong, Gyeonggi Province. Song Kang-ho and Kim Sang-kyung star as Detective Park and Detective So, respectfully, two of the detectives trying to solve the crimes. This movie was on Jason's list. Jason, why was this movie on your list? So, a few years ago, I think 2016, I had a sudden interest in Korean films. I don't remember what film inspired it. I think it might have been Old Boy, but I might be wrong. And I just saw like a list of like great Korean movies, and I remember Memories of Murder was in there. But I didn't get the chance to see it then because there weren't a lot of them available on like Netflix at the time. And I also saw this um, video from Every Frame of Painting, that YouTuber on, you know, YouTube. And he discussed like the ensemble staging of Memories of Murder. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch it when I can. And it just so happened it was on Hulu when I emailed you. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch it eventually. I'm going to watch it now for this. So, and also because I'm a huge fan of Bong Joon-ho and Song Kang-ho because I've seen them both in like different movies and also working together. And I love both of them. Song because he's a great actor and um, Bong because he's an amazing director. So I was like, you know what? Might as well watch it. What did you think of the movie? I'll be honest. I didn't like it for like the first like third of the movie because it was kind of slow at first for me. But I don't know where at what point it was. But eventually I started to really like it. And then once it reached the ending, I was like, I really like it. Like the ending really brought it home for me. You know, I was like impressed like the whole um, story and the actors throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But that ending like really brought it home. And I really like this movie, you know. What did you think about it? Because it was also on your list. I totally agree with you that it was a bit slow. Like kind of opposite of Boogie Nights where it was two and a half hours long, but it didn't feel like that. This was only like two hours, 11 minutes, but it felt like forever. Like, I was like, wow. Right. It is like, is this actually two hours? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where like, I didn't know if I liked it or not. But then like it kept going and like the tension kept building. And I was like, wow, this is actually really good. And from what Bong Joon-ho has talked about with this film, he said that he wanted this to be more like a crime movie that's more in line with like the korean crime movies instead of like the usual like hollywood crime movies where they so korean crime movies would focus more on like the emotions and like the characters which i definitely felt i felt that when i was watching this because you know we we didn't really see many like action scenes or we didn't really see the killings happen up close a lot of the time it was more of like the the building tension of like these detectives trying to catch this killer and being so unprepared and this killer is just so much smarter than them that at the end when they end up like not catching the killer it's like well we're just as frustrated as they are i will say that i don't think the killer was smart i think they were just gross the cops were grossly incompetent like yeah. with a lot of these like true crime stories that you probably hear like on podcasts, a lot of them say the cops were very incompetent in this thing. I forgot which serial killer it was, but one of the victims of the killer escaped and tried to go to the police. He found police, but he didn't speak English, right? Mm-hmm. And when the killer eventually caught up and said, oh, that's my lover. Don't worry about him. We're having like a little fight. And gave him back, and eventually killed him. So oh oh uh um John Gacy, I think it might be. It could be. It might be Gacy. I I have heard that story. That yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's it's pretty common, you know. <laughs> They're really incompetent in like catching the killer. And this movie, when I was watching it, it reminded me of Zodiac, directed by David Fincher. Have you seen that movie? I have. Yeah. Um. Did it also remind you of that movie? It did. I also thought Zodiac was, like, super long. Yes. But I, I actually enjoyed Memories of Murder more. Uh, I don't know. Something about... I can't explain it. Like, the the performances in Zodiac were very good. But it's just something about Memories of Murder. Maybe it was, like, the color grading. Everything was so dark. And the performances by the actors themselves really made it. I mean, I don't think anyone else 
like I, I watch a lot of Korean movies and like Korean dramas and everything, but I, I can't think of any other actor who could have played in this movie. Yeah, and Bong Jun Jun Ho, he wrote the role specifically for Song Kang Ho. Mm-hmm. He specifically wrote it for him. He didn't think anyone else could do it but him, and that's kind of like when they first started working together. So and then eventually Parasite. Yeah, and it's also funny because last year around January 2020. When they're introducing this film to some people, I think it was at like an event or something. He said, I'm a fan of David Fincher. I love his films. But I do want to point out that Memories of Murder came out four years before Zodiac. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. What scene stood out to you? It was the scene where that, um, you know how like the cop from Seoul, he was talking to like the teenage girls about the outhouse. Mm -hmm. So it was the scene where he, it was like the crime scene of the teenage girl that eventually got murdered and everyone was in the rain and he was just walking slowly towards the body and he saw the band-aid that he placed on her right i don't know yeah something about that scene like it was very heartbreaking right definitely because for them it just got more personal like they befriended the little girl um the student because you know she kind of like Spoke to him. She, she's a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. That scene uh, when she gets killed, I think that's the first time I ever cried because I was so horrified for her. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I cried in movies because I've been, like, sad. Like, oh, this person died. Like, the puppy died. But this scene is because, like, I was so horrified for her. And also because, like, everyone was closing their lights out because it was, like, that drill. Mm-hmm. And so no one was coming to help her. Like, I, it really broke my heart. Yeah, and then the killer was deciding whether or not to go for the cop's wife or, like, teenage girl. And, like, either option would have yeah. been horrible. But it's just right. because he chose the young girl, it just made it so wor- so much worse, in my opinion. Right, right. Because it, it, the girl just happened to be at the worst place on the worst time. Mm-hmm. So... Oh, I also want to speak about, like, Bong Joon-ho as a director. So, mm-hmm. his ability to, like, unexpectedly and effortlessly blend genres and tones is the reason why he's become so famous in international um, cinema. So, I can think of, like, Parasite as an example because that's the most relevant one and the one that really... The one I like the most out of all his films mm-hmm. because it's a comedy and then eventually it turns into a thriller and then some aspects of horror in the movie. They, you don't see them coming. Like... That scene in Parasite where that dude that lives in the basement, he scares the boy because you can see him like on the floor. Like the eyes, I can't really describe it very well, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember the scene because that scene where he was just, his head just slowly rises up and his eyes are popping out. I was like, that's horrifying. No wonder that kid got scarred. (laughs) And a a scene that's kind of similar in, in a way. Is when that one other woman who is like in that field, it was like towards the middle of the movie. She hears someone whistling after she's like singing, and she likes like looking looking around, and it's out of focus. But someone pops up and pops back down. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, oh my gosh. A little bit more about like the pre-production for this movie. So when he was asked about like his methods, Bong Joon Ho says. He storyboards everything. Um, it was mostly for like DP, director photography, and for the crew. But on set, when he's there, he really likes it. He prefers it when his actors improvise everything. And it's kind of crazy because that scene where Detective Park first meets Detective Sale, that scene where he like just like wrestle like a pro wrestling um, kick down off the off the hill. Mm-hmm. The drop kick. Yeah, the drop kick. He, that was an improvised kick. No one knew he was going to do that. And then he did it. And like that little fight scene right there, that like they're just scuffling against each other. That was also improvised. And it brings it more, makes it so much more funny when you learn that that scene was the very first scene both actors had met each other. <laughs> and it was also the first shot and the first take. And they kept it in the film. So Bong Joon-ho 
didn't want to rehearse the movie because he still wants to keep that awkwardness. Because you know when people first meet each other, they're a little awkward? Yeah. He wanted to keep that on the movie. <laughs> it, it translated well on screen. It was also so funny. Yeah, I I didn't expect him to full out drop kick him. There were so <laughs> many there were so many scenes where these cops were just drop kicking people and I was just like, Why are you doing that? <laughs> like especially that other that other cop he like kept doing that to like um to like the suspects right. and it felt so it was so ironic that he eventually lost his leg later in the movie right and it was the same leg that he did it with and i even wrote down my notes like no more drop kicks for you fam <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's 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 just a whole running gag and it's always out of nowhere and it's always with like such precision like, how did you guys jump so high, you know? Like, I can barely yeah. jump high. They definitely they definitely have experience doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really showed. And as as well as, like, the, um, with the story behind the film, because, you know, it's based on true events. The film, he said, it's, it's really about the chaos of the 80s because at the time, they didn't know how to handle crime scene or, like, they couldn't handle crime scenes because nothing like that had ever happened. Whereas nowadays, it's more different. They can handle it now. And it also happened when he was in high school. And he also says he he doesn't shoot coverage because he doesn't like doing that. The way he gets around it is because he storyboards a lot. He shoots what he needs, but he can still experiment with editing. So an example of this where like he didn't shoot coverage for it was that scene where they're at the bar. I think it was a karaoke bar. And all four of the men are there. You know, the, the head chief, like their boss, is just like right there in the middle, just drunk and like passed out. And Detective Park, Detective Sale are on the left and right of the screen. And the other guy is just in the background, just like making out the, with the hostess. That scene, the camera doesn't move at all, except to like zoom in, like um, not zoom in, but like move closer to them. But beyond that, they're not moving the camera. So that's just an example. Like if they shot like coverage, like over the shoulder shots, like talking to each other, like they do like other movies, it wouldn't have the same effect because once their boss wakes up, he kind of serves as like the, the moral center for the two detectives, actually the three detectives. You know, bringing them all together. So that's just an example of like why he doesn't shoot coverage because he know he knows what he wants to get. And this is also from the every frame of painting video I saw. He talks about this. It's just basically like the ensemble staging. You know, he also says that when he doesn't want you to focus on a character, he will have someone else in the center of the frame. So when Detective Sale first comes into the scene, he is not with the crew, right? He's like off of the frame, essentially, and not a focus. And it's not until he becomes more relevant to the story that he's a part of the crew. And he's more closer to the light and you see him more in the center of the frame. Yeah, I because I mentioned the uh, color grading, I looked up why uh, or how or how they did that. I am like, I'm not very familiar with like film terms. So I'm kind of just reading this word for word. Um, so Bong Joon-ho and the cinematographer decided to use a bleach bypass process in which the regular bleaching process is of film is skipped, allowing the color dyes to be retained in the emulsion and creating a desaturated image. They also filmed on cloudy days, so if the sun happened to appear out of nowhere, the crew would just play soccer until they could film again. <laughs> I like that fact, like, they don't just sit around, they actually play soccer, you know, keep themselves fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only parts of the movie where the the film processing is skipped, where it's not skipped, is the opening and the closing of the film. Yeah. If you watch the movie, they're both very bright, have a lot of color, mm -hmm. against, like, the, the rice fields. So, it's very noticeable. Whereas nowadays, we, we will just use filters, you know, because we're kind of spoiled that way. Or just like color graded on like Adobe Premiere Pro, mm -hmm. they had to go for like the whole film bypass thing. So yeah, yeah. Another fact that I also got from the same article was that Bong Joon Ho pays really close attention to t to detail to the point of like the newspaper was really the newspaper that he used throughout the movie had to be uh, made so that it looked like it was from the 1980s to the point where like the fonts and the the paper stock had to be the same. <laughs> I I have a certain respect for directors who pay that close attention because it's something that most people won't pay attention to but for him it means a lot you know what i mean yeah and you know like sometimes with like on youtube there are those channels that like to catch uh inaccuracies in movies so 
like this for this movie you can for the newspaper specifically you can definitely say oh that is accurate yeah i'm I'm gonna tell you right now i'm not a big fan of those youtube channels because just enjoy Mm -hmm. the movie like unless it's like a glaring detail that you can't really focus on the movie anymore you don't have to worry about these inaccuracies but people are different i don't really care um but sometimes i do but one person that i got really mad about for doing this was neil degrasse tyson he told James Cameron that like the night sky in Titanic was not accurate for the time that the Titanic sank. And so James Cameron didn't notice it. So like with the re renewal of the film, like with like, I think it was a Blu-ray edition of the film. He re-edited it so that the night sky was accurate to the Titanic when it sank. And I'm like, who would even notice that besides like an astrophysicist or whatever Neil deGrasse Tyson is? Because it's not a detail you should care about, you know? <laughs> Sometimes in my videos, I like to point out things like that just to like, just to be like funny. Cause I've, I, like, for an example, in one of my avatar videos, I was like, oh wow, the, phys- the physics of that were so questionable. Just to like, just to <laughs> say that. Like, I know it's fictional. I know it, like, the whole world is magical. But I just like saying that in like that kind of way i think i remember you saying that and actually reminded me back on like nicktoons when they will show these um when it will show the shows they had like some special airing times where like it would also do like pop-ups of like some facts about the show and one of those facts was then ang and the crew they were at the they were at umashu before it was taken over so that where they first met boomy and when he's like speeding down like the hill because of like his airbending um, they they said in a pop-up, so the speed of something falling down this, from the sky, like from gravity, it's always at the same speed as like other things besides its weight. But because uh, Ang can airbend, it makes, he can do it so he can go faster. And I'm like, oh, they actually like, <laughs> uh, had to point that out to some kids, you know, <laughs> but I guess that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so something about this movie, eventually in 2019... The identity of the real-life killer in, um, that the movie is based on was found, and he was already serving a prison sentence for, like, another unrelated murder. And he said, like, he couldn't figure out why they didn't catch him sooner. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, it's like, bro, I'm just as surprised as you are, man. Like, you didn't catch me this whole entire time. I was just chilling. You know, I'm just exaggerating this, but, like, it's like, wow. Wow, dude. So, do you have any final thoughts on the movie? Oh, I did want to mention that, like, prior to watching this movie, I was aware of, like, the the real-life story of the serial killer. I had actually watched a K-drama based off of the serial killer, so it was, it was kind of interesting when I was watching this movie. I was kind of comparing the drama to this movie and seeing what kind of details <laughs> um, they had similar to one another. The drama was definitely like it was it had more of a fantasy element to it while this one is just purely like this is like real life. I also kind of was shocked at how they handled the suspects like they were basically torturing those men and I was like is that allowed? Yeah that's um I want to say it's kind of crazy but it's very coincidental that like right before I watched this movie I was listening to a podcast called Conviction. And the second season I was listening to was based on the the Satanic Panic, where back back in the 80s in America, there are a lot of cases of kids reporting their parents or like people they knew as being Satanists and sacrificing children for Satan. But when you listen to the tapes of the kids being interrogated or interviewed, it's really bad because kids will say anything to get approval from adults. So like, for example, this dude would say, the guy interviewing one of the kids, he said, so... Did uh, did he murder the babies? And the kid's like, uh-huh. And after that, did they drink the blood? Uh-huh. And this kid is like six, you know? Like, he, mm-hmm. he eventually, like, had to learn what was the right answer so as the, so, that, so that the interviewers wouldn't yell at him. And even if he told the truth, they wouldn't accept it as the truth. So very similar to, like, right here in this movie where, like, the interviewers, even though the suspects were telling them the truth, they wouldn't accept it. They tried to, like, force them to give a confession, you know? And when you're being tortured, of course you're going to confess to something you didn't do because you want the torture to stop. Yeah. And I really like in the movie when um the guy who, who kicks the kicker, I'm calling him the kicker, when he's kicked down the stairs by his boss. <laughs> um. Yeah, oh and, my gosh. 
<laughs> it's like you get what you deserve. As such a, a special like fact about that I really like about, to hear about is that when they were building that set, Bong Joon Ho, he specifically requested it to be very steep so that when they shot it, um, it would look like that. They didn't, they didn't understand what he meant by that when they built it. But once they saw it, they're like, oh, we get it now. Kind of like going going off that topic as well. Um, so Bong Joon-ho, he kind of had like a difficulty trying to like end the movie without like a concrete conclusion. But then he saw this graphic novel called From Hell, which is about Jack the Ripper, which included like details of the killing, but also focused on England society as well. Like there's there was a scene in the movie where like the police were suppressing this riot and at first I was like that is so random like why did he put that in there but then I read more about it and Bong Joon-ho wanted to like show how the uh, presidency at the time was very like oh yeah yeah was domineering and like it it, it made sense like now that I think about it because the chief when they were trying to catch the killer he was like oh, like, there's no one that, like, can come over here to help us because they're all busy suppressing this protest. And I think that's so interesting because it kind of shows how, like, even within the system, these evil people can just slip through the cracks. It's not even, like, just them being... Like you said, it's, like, not even the killer being smart. It's just that the system was so flawed. Yeah, and I don't know too much history about, like, um, Korea... Mm-hmm. But I do know about, like, the Guangzhou uprising from 1980. And there were, like, a lot of protests for democracy during the 80s. So, like, I had some familiarity with, like, the history there. And then, like, that part when the song finally played and I try and, like, fi- um, find people to help. I'm like, oh, that is just the worst timing for you guys. Yeah. And the structure was also based on, like, a play. I forgot the name of the play. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, it's Come it's come to See Me. Yeah. Yeah. So And also two actors from the play were cast in the movie. Bong Joon-ho also, like, didn't want to film in the actual area out of respect to, like, the victims' families who were still alive. And I actually looked up, like, the geographical areas that they filmed and, like, where the actual crimes were. So the actual crimes were, like, in the northern region of South Korea, but then like all the filming locations were like all in the south. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's um pretty cool of them to like be respectful of the families because de- they definitely wouldn't do that here in America. Duh. <laughs> <They're> yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, what this happened three years ago? Let's film it in the same place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's also another Mark Wahlberg film about the Boston bombings from like 2013, and I think they made the movie in 2016. And that thing happened like 2013, 2012. And I'm like, that just happened. And you made a movie about it? Like, bruh, like capitalism in this country, fam. Like, it's really like no respect here. <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, I, I really don't doubt that in a year or two, we're going to get a movie about COVID. Like, for sure. <laughs> We've already had a, a few already. Like, there's that yeah. Anne Halfway movie on HBO Max. I didn't hear good things about it, so I'm not watching it. And also because we're still kind of... We're, we're still in it, you know? Like, it's yeah. getting better, but, like, not for, like, other parts of the world. Like, we're st- maybe in, like, a couple years from now, we can, like, go back and reflect. But, yeah, that, that's something, that, like, even in the community, I heard people saying, like, do not write a screenplay about COVID because we're going to have thousands of those things already. <laughs> people don't want scripts about COVID when we're going through COVID, you know? And it's true. Yeah. Like, you want to you wanna look for films about escaping. And that's kind of why I watched a lot of, like, adventure movies last year and some more comedy stuff because i kind of want to forget about it you know it's to escape yeah exactly do you think you should have seen this movie sooner um i think just like you for boogie nights i think this was the right time for me to see it because i've already had a familiar familiarity with bong jun ho and song kanko and i knew kind of like their their filmography beforehand Whereas if I was if I was watching it back then, it probably would have depressed me a little bit too much. But seeing it now, I can like appreciate it, and also like it still depressed me um as well. But I think it was the right time for me to watch it. You know, I think I might rewatch it as well. I think watching it in June twenty twenty one was the right time for me to watch Memories of Murder. All right, everyone, that's the end of our discussion here. Thank you, Sophia, so much for being here. I really appreciate you being with my ramblings. Because I really like these two movies. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) 
So uh, let me ask you real quick. Did you find the movies a hit or a miss? They were both a hit. I think the same thing too. They're both hits. Uh, Memories of Murder was like, if I shot an arrow, it would have gone like, oh, it went off target for like a little bit. And then the wind projected it back towards the target. So that was that was the hit for me as well. And where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is, oh my gosh, it is so embarrassing to say out loud. It's <laughs> eat my fanny and it's <laughs> P-H-A-N-N-N-I-E. Um, Twitter name, also the same. TikTok, also the same, but I also don't really post on TikTok. So <laughs> just follow me on Instagram or Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, when I first saw that, I was like, that's a very creative name right there. <laughs> uh, and your <laughs> your YouTube channel name? Oh, it's just my name, Sophia Fan. Awesome, awesome. She's very funny. And Sophia, I also want to point out, you've really improved with the editing. I'm really impressed. Like, I saw the first video you made, and I saw, like, the latest one. And I see you added even, like, drop shadows to, like, some of the shapes right there. So, really impressed. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm my... <laughs> My first video was edited on iMovie, or my first two videos were actually edited on iMovie. And then after that, I was like, uh, I should probably get a better editing software. So yeah, um, it's it's been a process. I definitely think I've improved af- after a year. Gotcha. And which one was it again? Which editing software to use? That I use right now? Yeah, like, yeah, right now. Which one to use now? Oh, I use Final Cut Pro. Awesome, awesome. All right, that's the end of our discussion, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, cross off a new film from your list. And that's it. Yay! Thank you for listening to the Hit List Podcast. If you like this episode, please consider giving us five stars and leaving a review. It really does help. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Hit List Podcast and Instagram at the underscore hit list underscore podcast. 